Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The truth is in the trends. I'm going to say this three, probably four, most likely five times in this episode of Pat's Interference as we hit the two-week mark of Patriots training camp. Because at this point at camp, until we have a preseason game, that's what matters. The things that have happened from the half-speed walkthroughs to the padded practices, full contact, I'm going to knock your block off, to whatever happened Friday night where it was a simulated scrimmage in pads but no live contact and guys are kind of running at three-quarter speed or getting kicked out. Less important at this point here on Saturday night as we record is this is the second edition of Talking Football with a Beer. For the folks on YouTube, I am raising a glass. Uh, or as I dubbed this format last time, Andrew talks to himself and drinks alone. So as well as last week's debut of this format went, and we had a lot of positive feedback, um, we're not going to do a whole lot more of these because I'm sure at some point if I continued – I'd see all my friends and family sitting in my living room one day when I get home from training camp with a list of grievances about what my podcasting style has done to our relationships in their lives. So to get ahead of the intervention, we're going to take a break. But on Saturday night, when the players are off, the coaches, I can tell you, are going home a little bit earlier to get a little time away. We're going to review what we've learned. And instead of last week, when we did this for the first time, with levels of confidence about seven different observations from I think, I think I know this to I'm kind of totally guessing we have five solid trends that I'm saying from day one up until Friday night, which was day 10 of training camp, including their off day. This is what we've seen. This is what's important. This is what's going to carry on likeliest into the future. So that's what we have, because the truth, as I said, is in the trends. That's number two. Um, and at the end, we have a big mega mailbag. So trend number one, and this is off the field, actually, because if you've been following along for training camp at all, whether it's this podcast and all my reports, almost 2000 words a day, or any of my colleagues doing great work from Foxborough, or you're just, I don't know, catching TV highlights at night. The offense has been the story, right? And the offense has been bad. It has been atrocious. And that's, that's just how it is. It's been, it's been stunningly poor, but I don't want to talk about the offense because I've done a lot radio TV here. I want to have a conversation about the conversation around the offense, because in discussing it and reporting on it, and even inserting my opinion as others have done, I think the conversation around the Patriots offense has accelerated to a point that we shouldn't be at yet. Basically, it's been blown out of proportion, as bad as it's been about what's really transpiring in Foxborough. And there's, in my opinion, one reason for that. The reason is no one likes being right more than people 
who proclaim their opinions in public. And few groups of people proclaim their opinions in public more than sports journalists. You could be a beat reporter, you could be a national writer, you could be a columnist, you could be a talk show host, whatever it might be. But when we're right, we like to tell the world because we know when we're wrong, the world is gonna come tell us and rub our faces in it. And that's fine. That's the game, that's the gig, that's how it is, all good. But let's go back to February, okay? What we were all saying then, the talk show hosts, the beat reporters, the columnists, the whatevers, when Matt Patricia and Joe Judge, Joe Judge took center stage on the offense was, this is a terrible idea. We were screaming that from the mountaintops, February, March, April, May, June, July, okay? Bad idea, horrible. We all understood and we all agreed. So when the first whiff of the Matt Patricia and Joe Judge-led offense is really bad, just absolute terrible stench, Media, especially those away from the field day to day, local, national, I'm not picking anyone, are going to jump on that. They're going to seize that moment and say, aha, look at us. We're right. We have been right. And as more news trickles out, this week we had padded practices, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, the reaction snowballs and the level of panic goes up and the negativity rises because you can't just echo what someone else says in this market or you're not going to stand out. Sidebar, I faced this conundrum in a very small way on Thursday. Again, that was a third padded practice. And it didn't go very well because the offense is really still stuck in the mud. But I wanted to take a big picture look. So I looked at the receivers. Devontae Parker didn't have a catch. I start to dig into the week-long numbers. And it looks like Jacoby Myers has been their most consistent receiver of the week. So I wrote about that instead of for the third day out of four, the offense still sucks, okay? But on the outside, unless you're taking a big picture look or something data-driven, it just snowballs into not three bad practices, but can the offense be fixed? Is Bill Belichick going to take the reins from Matt Patricia as the play caller? Is this a lost season? And again, it's been bad. It's been really bad out there. But what did we, people proclaiming from the mountaintops, this is a terrible idea, think was going to happen on the first 10 days of training camp with a new offensive coordinator, Basically, a new offensive staff since Josh McDaniels took everyone and their brother out to Las Vegas with them, with a new system in place for a franchise that has not really run a new offense in 22 years. Not to mention, all of this is being funneled through a second-year quarterback who is bound to the pocket and has two new starting guards in front of him. Did we think it was going to be an average offense? Did we think it was going to be better than that? Because that wouldn't really align with everything that we were saying February through July. Now, some level of competence here, absolutely expect that Mac Jones should be completing passes and not taking sacks. But let's remember, the Patriots have not played a preseason game yet. Let me say that again. They have not played a preseason game yet. The measuring stick for progress in the National Football League, and you know I'm trying to drive home my point because any analyst who says National Football League, instead of just NFL, which we all know and recognize, is making an effort to do that. The measuring stick is gameplay. It's not practice. In the first preseason game on Thursday night against the Giants, it's not going to be the be-all end-all, but it will have the most important data points of this offense for us to learn and sift through in mind than anything we've seen so far. And once we get two preseason games on tape, we can break those down, by which point also we'll have four week of practices, a set of joint practices against the Panthers, that's when we have a decent look at what this offense is, but not through nine practices. And until then, we just have to sit and wait. Because the last point I'll make about the offense and the conversation around it is this. 
if instead the offense was sizzling, all right, Mac Jones is hitting deep on all of his throws beyond 20 yards or longer down the field. The offensive line is just rolling out the red carpet for Damian Harris and Ramondre Stevenson, all these outside zone plays. What do you think we, media concerned with the Patriots, are going to be saying after we told the world for five to six months that this setup was a bad idea? I'll tell you this. We wouldn't be saying that Matt Patricia is some sort of offensive genius or hiring Joe Judge back was a coup for Bill Belichick, okay, or that they've revolutionized offensive scheme. What we would be saying is this defense probably sucks, okay, and let's wait until they play someone, another team, a different team that doesn't, you know, work through their own issues. So let's do that. Let's wait until Thursday. And then next Friday, even if they're just the Giants and Panthers, two teams that are headed for the drain as fast as anyone. But that'll give us the best and most relevant information that we've had, not to mention the freshest by the time we get there. It's not fun. It's not sexy. It doesn't make headlines, but it's worth the wait, even as bad as it's been. And it's been bad, I assure you. But to say that this offense can't be fixed or we don't know. I'll tell you, I did a TV hit last year, week two, before the Patriots played the Jets. They had just lost a one-point game against the Dolphins. You remember it. Damian Harris fumbles inside the 20, three, four minutes left to go. That was it. The question posed to me was, is this a must-win game for the Patriots in New York? Because if they lost, they'd be 0-2. And they had the Bucs, and they had the Saints, and they had the Texans, and they had the Cowboys. Best-case scenario, they go 2-4, and four, and the season is totally lost. Well, you know what happened? They beat the Jets. And they went 2-4 and four anyway. And then they went to the playoffs. As much as we think we know something now, or even in week two of the regular season, we don't. That's the NFL. Okay, number two. Enough conversation about the conversation. Let's get into football. For my money, the over-under and undrafted for agents who are going to make this final roster, I think should be a four and a half. And that's a very, very high number across the league. Even for the Patriots, we all know, their week one roster has had an undrafted for agent something like 18, 19 years straight. Number one, with a bullet making this roster is Brendan Schooler. He's a safety out of Texas, core special teamer. I asked someone in uh, on the beat the other day, I was like, has anyone ever had a higher kind of, you know, Q rating better than Brendan Schooler of all the undrafted free agents? Because like, as soon as the kids signed, we were like, boom, that's it. You know, Brandon King's gone, Brandon Polden's gone. He hasn't done anything spectacular, but when you watch the way he works in practice, he's always with Matthew Slater. He's always with Justin Bethel. He's hanging out with Cody Davis. Like you would think, he has the Wi-Fi passwords at all three of their houses at this point, the way they're spending time together. And he's allowed to work separately when they're doing offensive and defensive seven on sevens or 11 on 11s to work with those guys, because it seems like he's entrenched there as a future court special teamer. And that dude can fly and that dude can hit. So he fits the role. Number two in that list, if not number one, is LeBron Ray, outside linebacker, defensive end at Alabama. This kid was a five-star prospect coming out of high school, which at Alabama, of course, doesn't make you stand out. But nonetheless, he stood out for all the wrong reasons. He got hurt. He didn't play. Okay. And the Patriots tend to take dice rolls on five-star kids, even sometimes late in the draft. Byron Cowart was a great example of this in 2019. Fifth round pick, you know, went to Maryland, didn't really do anything, but they said he's got enough physical talent and has since a young age, we might as well take him. Well, the dice roll they made on LeBron Ray arguably is already paying off because he is tied for the team lead in sacks in team period so far with Matthew Judon. Both of them have three. Okay. LeBron Ray is also the only Patriot to beat Trent Brown cleanly in one-on-one pass rush. And okay, it's one rep, it's one, one drill. And as my friend Chris Mason from Mass Live says, sometimes Trent looks like he's playing with his food. But this is a guy who was flashing individual periods. In team periods, 
and at a position of need. Not to mention he's got the pedigree and the coaching and the system experience at Alabama that it's easy to see him fast-tracking his way to a roster spot. Number three in a similar vein to Marcus Mitchell. This is a guy like Brendan Schooler. As soon as he signed, you're like, okay, we know why. Of course, special teamer. But to Marcus Mitchell, I'll tell you, Thursday, he had a sack. And this is a guy who's been ascending throughout practice. Again, we talk about trends. He projects as a core special teamer. It's about 6'2", 6'3", 260. Um, his one sack is only one fewer than Ronnie Perkins, who if you've been following me, I'm telling you, he's been on scout team most of camp, which is not a good sign for him. And it's a third-round pick from 2021. Anthony Jennings also has one sack. Anthony Jennings, of course, is starting with the, the, the ones when Matt Judon's been out. But Demarcus Mitchell has been rising. Excuse me. The last one that I'll say is Cody Russi is the center from Houston. He's a tougher projection because he's really struggled in one-on-one pass rush, um, but he's still an undrafted rookie who's going to get some time. He received the most guaranteed money out of all these guys when they signed, and he's also occasionally snapped with the first-team offense. And part of that was when David Andrews was recovering from his offseason shoulder surgery, and he got to do that in sevens and elevens, and he works in with James Ferentz. But I think there's an upside here that hasn't been tapped into. He's highly experienced from his time at Houston. If he can play a little guard, that's going to be a big benefit to him because of trend number three. And the third trend that we've seen throughout the entirety of training camp, for the folks at home, this is where the beer comes in. First sip. The right side of the offensive line is a problem. And this is underpinning all of the conversation about the run game and the outside zone scheme, because look, we can talk about Shanahan offense and McVay, and I've done this too. The reality is outside zone runs have been in the Patriots playbook almost as long as there's been a Patriots playbook under Bill Belichick, okay? There are guys that are better at teaching it than Matt Patricia. There are guys that are worse, but it's always been there. Players, including Cole Strange, who's a rookie playing left guard, have run outside zone before, okay? This is not a terribly complicated scheme. It just takes a lot to master, but it's not new. The real problem is not the scheme. It's the right side of the line, where Mike Unwenu at right guard has been rotating with James Ference as recently as Friday night on the second series of that simulated scrimmage. He also did so on Thursday. And as a result of this rotation, Mike on one who also struggling one-on-one pass rush, the Patriots have allowed a run stuff on 44%, 44% of their starting offensive snaps in 11 on 11. Mind you, the NFL high last year among run stuffs allowed for an offensive line was the Vikings at 23.6%, according to Sports Info Solutions. That's basically double the worst running team in the league as far as runs that were stopped at the line of scrimmage or behind. And again, it's training camp, okay? We haven't had a preseason game yet. There's not a whole lot to put into these first two weeks. But the Patriots might need an answer there because they did not trade Jack Mason, of course, playing right guard, because they believed in James Ferentz. They traded Shaq Mason because they believed in Mike Onwenu and his ability to play left guard or right guard. They chose right guard when they drafted Cole Strains, who's been at left guard ever since he got New England. He's not living up to that potential. So enter Ference and also enter Arlington Hambright. Hambright is the third round pick of the or third round pick, third year player, seventh round pick of the Bears in 2020. He's been a journeyman. I mixed him up uh, preparing for this podcast with Drew Desjardins, who's a CFL star. The bottom line is these guys, you just immediately cross off at the start of training camp. We're projecting a roster out. You're not doing that with Hambright anymore. And part of it's a credit to him. He's been solid in one-on-ones, about as good as Mike Onwenu. But Mike Onwenu is having a slow start to camp. And Mike Onwenu is also 350 pounds, the type of player that is not suited for this zone scheme. So I don't know 
what's going to happen here. And to be frank, it's also not entirely on Mike Onwenu. Isaiah Wynn, though, we know can at least play tackle. And some guys can't switch from left to right. The Patriots seem to believe that he can. He has no interest in talking about that, by the way. Talk about a guy who is like smiling through gritted teeth whenever he talks to us. That's been Isaiah Wynn. But they can't get a push going left or right in the outside zone. I'll give Isaiah Wynn a little bit more time, given his reputation. But the right side of the offensive line, if you want to know why the running game can't go anywhere, and if you want to know why Mac Jones is not getting protected in all these boot plays, that's the main reason. Mike Onwenu and Isaiah Wynn are having real slow starts to camp, and that's something to watch because the Patriots coaching staff, rotating James Ferentin and rotating Arlington Hambright, know this and are not screwing around trying to figure out how they can fix it. Hey guys, just a quick break to remind you that Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to wager in all your favorite sports contests and events with first to market odds and line. I know you've got a lot of different options out there, but stick with betonline.ag. You can find reviews and news of every league, including Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports, esports, and even golf with the futures. Bet Online continues to be the top online resource for all your sports information from live in game betting, props, and futures. So head on to Bet Online today or use your phone or iPad or whatever you have just to join today and make your first bet with the promo code CLNS50. That's CLNS50 for a 50%, 50 whole percent welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online where the game starts. Trend number four, the secondary. Let's finally do some defense. The secondary is headed for a youth movement. Um, and we'll, we'll give this some time, right? Because I go back to my first year in the beats, 2018, Jason McCourty, who makes arguably the biggest play, certainly defensive play, a Super Bowl 53 against the Rams, ditches his defensive responsibility, sees Brandon Cooks in the end zone, goes all the way back, bats the ball away, no touchdown pass, and the Rams only score three points. If you go back to the end of that season, not just what I was writing, anybody else on the beat, there was a school of thought that Jason McCourty might really be cut. And you know who attended that school of thought? Was Jason McCourty himself, who we talked to after the preseason finale against the Giants. And he said, I don't know if I'm going to make this team. So I say all of this to say that Malcolm Butler right now is the number one prime surprise cut candidate based on his play today. He's 32. He's lost some long speed. He's playing a position of need, but ultimately you've got guys behind him and Marcus Jones, a third round pick and Jack Jones, a fourth round pick who can really play. And I mentioned Marcus Jones, even though he's primarily going to play nickel, but Marcus Jones played nickel with the starting defense. The only rookie to play with the starting defense on Friday night. What that did though, when he was at nickel, it didn't take Jonathan Jones off the field. It put Jonathan Jones to the outside. So the Patriots feel that they have three better corners who are veterans, Jalen Mills, Jonathan Jones and Terrence Mitchell on the outside that could send Butler packing, understanding that you can roll with Jack Jones probably is your number four corner because Butler has been beat deep. His ball skills are still there and you've seen it in short area, but it's really a question mark. Now I mentioned Terrence Mitchell. He's currently leading the team with two interceptions at team periods. It's great. Both of them were gifts there's been nothing outstanding or remarkable, good or bad about Terrence Mitchell's training camp. It's probably a lot like all of Terrence Mitchell's other training camps when he's a guy who, again, the Houston Texans did not want this offseason. So what I'm saying is there's not only just opportunity for guys like Marcus Jones and Jack Jones to make the roster and contribute and play in the secondary, but Jack Jones is not that far behind. When he's getting beat, it's not badly. And that's a really great sign for a rookie who's missing closely because you can make up that gap in practice and in the preseason. What you can't do is help yourself when you're getting burned in your third or fourth year, <clears throat> Joe Williams, 
And aside from those two guys, if you want to roll with them, plus Jonathan Jones and Jalen Mills and maybe Terrence Mitchell, again, taking Malcolm Butler off the side, at least for now. Sean Wade is second on the team in pass breakups with three behind Jalen Mills and Joshua Bledsoe. Bledsoe, former six-round pick out of Missouri, he had five pass breakups in the first two days of camp. That trend is not sustained, but he's at least in the mix right now as far as guys who could contribute based on what they've done so far in camp. Don't mind the phone. The, fi- the phone was an alert to tell you we're time for the fifth and final trend. Back to the offense. Um, Mac Jones looks uncomfortable. And there's, there's no way around this. It has to do with scheme. It has to do with the blocking, particularly on the right side that I mentioned. It has to do with the lack of separation downfield. And I think in reality, all of them, of course, are connected. But Mac Jones is the biggest and best and sometimes only hope for this offense right now. Because when you remove the quarterback from the conversation, and I realize that's a really stupid way to start a sentence on a football podcast, but the talent on the Patriots roster is roughly equivalent to that of the Jets. And the talent itself is certainly worse than the Dolphins, and it is by a wide margin worse than the Bills. The Patriots' trump cards are supposed to be their quarterback and their coach, same as it was when Brady was here, okay? And that's just because I will say definitively Mac Jones is already better than Tua, and without question, Zach Wilson. But if the offensive scheme and the coaching is bringing down Mac Jones instead, you lose your trump card. And now you're playing on even ground with the Jets. And I'm not saying they're a threat to fall into fourth place, but the way Mac has looked so far, that first pad of practice this past week, Monday, um, 10 of 14 in team periods with an interception. But most of those completions were within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage. This is a guy who doesn't need any help completing passes that distance. He was one of four beyond 10 yards. The next day, six of 11 in 11 on 11s. Full on team period. You're facing a pass rush. Second day of pads, he should bounce back. He actually regresses. Thursday again, marginally better. But he took two sacks, had another throw away, and was nine of 13 because he reverted back to throwing everything short with Jacoby Myers and Johnny Smith dominating targets in those team periods. And nine to 13 looks good, and it is good. But those are also the numbers he was putting up last training game when he was a rookie. Now he's a second-year guy. New system, new coaches, whatever, be damned. That's the situation here. And if they can't allow or count on Mac to carry the team, either because he's being dragged down by the lack of separation outside, where, again, Devontae Parker, three catches in five practices this week on six targets is your supposed number one, and there's a long way to go. They're in trouble because Mac in this system, turning his back on these plays of these long bootleg play-action throws, removes his ability to diagnose the defense, get the ball out of his hands quickly. This is supposed to be a quarterback-proof offense. I don't know if Mac Jones is the type of quarterback that you need to baby-proof the offense for. They did this to a degree with their route selection and him throwing so often short of the sticks or within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage. He's supposed to be a different player now. You have to be able to accentuate his strengths and find a way to thread that needle, whereas they're tightening the splits to help the receivers. They're running outside zone because it's better for the offensive linemen. But if all of this is worse for your quarterback, does that outweigh the negatives you have with Mac Jones struggling in this system? It's a question they're trying to ask right now. And the bottom line is, again, he just looks uncomfortable. Okay, time for the mailbag. Let's run down these. Um, these are all questions via Twitter. First from Matt St. Jean, does the run game look improved? Um, improved from Monday. <laughs> again, 44% run stuff rate, not great. But that was over 50 on Monday and Friday in the scrimmage, you know, you can't really take anything of that when it was in the stadium. The running game is something that's going to take time. We haven't had a lot of contact 
I put more stock into the running game and how it looks once they get the pad zone and play the Giants on Thursday night. All right, next question comes from Kevin on Twitter. How much of the offensive struggles are because they're running base plays and the defense knows what's coming? Look, the defense does not know what's coming before every single play. Let's start there. I think they do have an understanding that like the calls that they're getting in, they're, they're pretty basic. It's going to be spot drop zone or man-to-man for them on defense. Not a whole lot of exotic blitzing offensively. A lot of outside zone runs or inside zone and then some play action bootlegs off of that. The problem is not the simplicity of those calls. It's the fact that even when you pair the outside zone with the outside zone bootlegs, they're stopping whatever the run is, whether it's real or fake. And then they're able to get to the quarterback on those bootlegs anyway. Like the, the, the blocking is not there, period. That's the issue. Again, we talked so much about the right side. It's been true on the left, but it doesn't matter what you're running if you can't block. And I would say whether it's basic or more complicated, where you're in sevens or 11s, not a lot of blocking, of course, in sevens, like that's the issue. They're losing up front. It's not so much to do with scheme as it has been just the execution by the five offensive linemen. This comes from Pat's STH1969 on Twitter. Nice. Can you see Daniel Ekwale lining up to Christian Barmore in the pass rush package on third down? Yeah, of course. I mean, he did it uh, again Friday night in that simulated scrimmage. I wouldn't count on Ekwale being a big part of their plans. I think he could still get cut. You know, he's looked explosive in one-on-one pass rush. He's had a couple nice wins, including against David Andrews. But, you know, this is a guy who was not heavily featured last year when they really could have used some pass rush, particularly down the stretch when Matt Judon disappeared and Christian Barmore, who you mentioned, you know, stepped to the forefront. I think big things are expected of Christian Barmore, but naturally, you know, being a defensive tackle, it's easier to double him because he's lining up across a guard or a center who's flanked by linemen on either side of it. And then that's easier just to give help in one way or another, depending on where Barmore's line. So yeah, Aquali could be in there. I think he'll be someone that gets spotlighted. It might be one of these players early in the preseason where we go, Ooh, look who had two sacks. And one of them was, you know, a cover sack in the fourth quarter, but he makes headlines anyway. I just, if you want to watch him do it, he's probably in my top 10 to 12 to watch for these preseason games. But when it comes to the regular season, I wouldn't count on him being a huge contributor just like just just yet um all right last one tipsy tailgate media um on twitter first of all do you have any openings have you listened to this podcast um where does a guy like nelson aguilar fit in this offense nelson aguilar might not fit at all let's start there and it's not so much to do with nelson Aguilar's style of play because i think they want to open up the offense to go deep it's just a matter of how consistently that he can do that because I'll run down some training camp stats for you here as far as it goes with Nelson Aguilar. Jacoby Myers, I mentioned, has been very consistent. He's caught 21 of 24 targets, 24 being the second most so far among all the pass catchers. That's an 87.5% catch rate. Devontae Parker on the opposite end of that spectrum. He's 10 of 20, so that's 50%. It's not great, but he provides at least a different body type there, 6'3", 220, 225. Kendrick Bourne somewhere in the middle, 11 of 15, a smaller sample, 73%. Nelson Aguilar is 7 of 11. So the catch rate is high, but the opportunity at 11 is fewer targets than Christian Wilkerson. It's fewer targets than Trey Nixon. It's only two more than little Jordan Humphrey. It's one more than Josh Hammond, a dude who didn't sign until midway through the start of camp. It's fewer targets than Damon Harris or Andre Stevenson has seen. It's the same number that Ty Montgomery has seen playing receiver and running back. So we've heard good things from Nelson in training camp. We've heard good things from teammates. And Bill Belichick has said he's seen a huge difference from Nelson 
I just don't know if the fit and the trust is there based on what we've seen. I mean, his fit here is you're going to be stapled to the outside like he did in Las Vegas, had the best year of his career. You're going to run deep and we're going to keep trying to hit you. Mac Jones threw him a higher rate of inaccurate passes than any other receiver when they went deep last year. Part of that is bad luck. I've said it on this podcast. But if you have Tyquan Thornton, who's at least similar to what Nelson Aguilar is doing and can provide that level of performance, you're just going to roll with the rookie. Okay, because Nelson Aguilar is in a contract year, and you would take on ten million in dead money if you cut him. You'd also free up five million in space. And if they see a guy who's going to provide eighty percent of that value and might improve or surpass his production in Taekwondo Thornton as the season goes on, they may roll with the kid because either of them, you know, both of them really are fighting for the number four spot on this receiver depth chart. All right, so that does it. We did um, not a lot of beer this time. Beer and ball. Pass interference. Any more follow up questions, please hit me up at underscore Andrew Callahan or uh, via email a Callahan at bostonherald.com. Next week, we have coming up an all Mac Jones episode. Mark Schofield, you can find them, of course, on Twitter, but virtually anywhere. He's podcasting with Pat's Pulpit. He's writing for Touchdown Wire with Doug Farrar, you know, former quarterback himself. We'll dive in there and then a recap of the Patriots preseason game against the Giants on Thursday night. So until then, Crack a cold one. Keep following from Patriots training camp as we wait. The truth is in the trends and the trends are only growing from here. We'll see you next time.